Shabbat Shalom, y'all. I am so glad to be here, but I am scared to death. <laughs> After 20 years of following the Lord and the Messiah, Yeshua, this is the first time I get to stand in front of all my friends. So I'm glad you're here. And maybe the title I've put together for my little trash is Appropriate Crazy Miracles and Crazy Faith. I thought that maybe if there was a, uh, I thought if there was any sign that the Lord would want me not to speak these words, that he would either run me out of gas, or someone would rear-end me, or God would make my notes fly out the windows I drove here, but none of that happened, so it must be his will. So, crazy is as crazy does. So, the... Uh, statement that I want to leave with you and dwell with you through this message is there is a pattern repeated in Scripture. Crazy miracles are the offspring of crazy faith. Crazy miracles are the offspring of crazy faith. And I think if we read the whole part of the Parsha, we can find some really big crazy and some really big crazy faith in this passage. So I'm just a pilgrim trying to make some progress on my way from this world to that which is to come. And I confess I have a weakness in that I like to make myself look smarter than I really am by quoting famous books. I am blessed to have my days extended for 64, and I'm happy to say it was just one day longer, so here we are. Uh, we did just move to Wichita from Amarillo this last August. Tammy's here. And my sweet wife, we love being with you all. She's originally from our city, our Kansas City. And uh, all of her family, her father, siblings, and nieces and nephews live in the area. So I've actually been able to visit and come to Wichita and to Ark City since 2002. But this was the first time this last summer that I got to be here. And actually, one minor correction, I hid in the back when I first came here. It was July 4th weekend, I think, and I snuck in the back and I said, what is all this stuff? This place is crazy. <laughs> Look, they even, what's that flag? I've never been here before. What is that? I'm not from Wichita. What, what is that? And then I had to find out, oh, that's the Wichita flag. So this is crazy. So we're all together here. This is normal. Um, so... Tammy uh, has nie nieces and nephews. I have three grown daughters and seven grandchildren. And COVID has stopped me from seeing them all, and I look forward to changing that very soon. But uh, God only knows when that will happen. I may have met some of you at the Snell's home during the poorhouse uh, meetings and dinners. It's just been so fun to get to meet some of you. And I hope... The Lord allows me to meet more of you through the, through the years. Um, most of the time I do hang out in the back with uh, Kim. We try to keep the lyrics and the liturgy going in the right order, but you can never make electrons behave. They're always on again and off again. So it's a little difficult sometimes. Forgive us in advance. My lifelong journey of faith has began as a child and as a teenager and an adult, and I finally enjoyed the view of a Jewish Messiah since the mid-1990s. And uh, my grounding 
in Messianic life began at Adat Yeshua in Albuquerque. And for about five years, I lived among Jews and Gentiles and learned about this amazing, amazing perspective of Yeshua, Jesus. He's Jewish. Oh, yeah, I knew that. But, but he's really, really Jewish. And the whole liturgy and the whole thing that we practice here is something that occurs weekly, not just here, but around the world. These words in Hebrew and English are, and whatever language that the congregations are located, are all unified in praise to the one true God. And that is a beautiful thing. I've been lucky enough to travel around the country and meet many different congregations in Ohio and New Mexico, in North Carolina, and it's just been amazing to me to see how God is bringing more and more people to knowledge of the one true God through the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the King of the Jews. And I am not Jewish. I, I have had exposure since a young child to uh, Reformed Jews, and it was amazing to me. Yeah, we have the same Moses. Hmm. Abraham, that's in their Bible and ours, I guess. And there are other things that just matched, and I what's the difference? And through my pursuit of Shabbat and what is Shabbat, it's just been a, a miracle of learning. So, the message that I'd like to share today comes down to the Torah portion. What is God trying to tell us in these words of the Scripture? And I've found three big ideas that I found woven throughout this whole passage that are the big big catch. Number one, healing damaged relationships within families is a very important, very risky, very scary, very crazy, and very important. Lessons, second of all, lessons learned in those healings do not only benefit you and me as central persons to that reconciliation, but those healings prepare the next generation that witness these healings, and they get to practice reconciliation themselves later. And last of all, which I hope will follow through, no matter what happens, God still rules over the crazy people, crazy things that spring upon us. God still rules. God is God and nothing less. Man is man and nothing more. So, just to put this into context, I enjoy hearing the Scripture read in Hebrew. My daughter is actually much proficient at Hebrew, and she actually teaches Hebrew school in an Orthodox congregation to the preschool or the children in Baltimore, which... Maybe I'll hitch a ride with y'all. I don't know if they'll let me stay there because I'm messianic, but it's okay. <laughs> but I'd like to read the section of this in English. And why not? Enjoy. Okay. Yaakov, if you want to follow along, this is the parasha Valish, excuse me, Valishlak. Uh, in Genesis 32, if you'd like to follow along, verse 4. 
Yaakov sent messengers ahead of him to Esau, his brother, toward the land of Seir, the country of Edom, with these instructions. Here is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Yaakov says, I have been living with Laban and now, and have stayed with him until now. I have cattle, donkeys, and flocks, and male and female servants. I am sending to you to tell this news to my Lord in order to win your favor. The messengers returned to Yaakov saying, we went to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. With him are 400 men. Oops. Yaakov became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, flocks and cattle and camels with him into two camps saying, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. Then Yaakov said, God of my father, Abraham, the God of my father, Yitzhak, Adonai who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen and I will do you good. I am not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant since I crossed the yard and with only my staff. But now I have become two camps. Please, Rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him, afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers or children. You said I will certainly make you do good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. He had a word from God. He had a prayer. He was desperate. Just as a digression, you and I can know somebody today who really haven't shaken their hands. We can meet them online. We can have conferences. We can teach classes. We can learn classes. We can do all the things that come with seeing a face and words but we don't really get to know them as deeply as it takes to be present with someone. And besides, a video camera hides all the crazy. And crazy really is more normal than we think. Does anyone else know where crazy is in your family? Is crazy out there? Like you just don't know what crazy is yet? Maybe I'll teach you, I'll demonstrate, no. So there is crazy floating around in the atmosphere of families. There is really, whether it's children climbing, crawling, playing with laser pointers, doing whatever it is that drives us crazy, it's something that is everywhere. Now, it's not foolishness, it's just crazy. So knowing Yaakov in his day and time would be very interesting but in order to do that, we couldn't make a movie of it. We'd have to sit with him. We'd have to be with him in his context. We would have to understand him not away from Levin and his family. We'd have to be in the context of his family. And at that point, I'm certain we would not miss the point that life was crazy for him. Life definitely was very crazy for him. So... Yaakov, Yaakov wrestled with crazy in his family. It was his family's anthem song. 
crazy. It was the favorite color of fabric in the house. Crazy. Crazy was following him, stalking him, and in his mind, his crazy twin brother was going to kill him. If you put all these crazy things together into a song, you could probably create a country western hit. <laughs> it was just crazy. His father, Laban, was absolutely proud and crazy. He swapped his wife, the sisters, on their wedding night after he worked seven years for their labor. He charged them seven more years of labor to earn the woman he really wanted. Uh, Laban changed Yaakov's pay ten times, and probably many more crazy things that we won't get to see or hear about, but just let your imagination go. So Laban and the family danced with crazy, and Jacob put up with it. But yet I think he was still the least of crazy. He had enough smarts to get out of there. God delivered him. So, Yaakov's home life was decorated with crazy. His wives would not rest in raising babies for him. And if they could not produce children themselves, they had the servant girls and slave girls given to them to be his surrogate wife. So, we think our blended families are interesting, don't we? Stick four women together. That's tricky. Four women and a dozen children everywhere. So this was definitely a crazy home life. Now in Genesis 32, verse 8, Yaakov was sick with worry. Now that's another form of crazy. He wasn't just nervous. He was sick with worry. Yaakov became greatly afraid and distressed. Yaakov's obedience to return to the land, his fathers required that he cross paths with his angry unto death twin brother. After sending Yaakov's, Yaakov's servants to wish a greeting to his brother, it was shocking to hear not only that Esau wanted to see him, but that he would be coming with 400 friends. The militia. Now, I know this room probably couldn't hold 400. I don't know what the fire marshal says in the back. I think I saw 270 or something like that. But take this room, fill it up with 200 men, and then double it, second service, okay? That would be 400 men following Esau. And they were just there to be his cheer team. They were there to protect and defend him and maybe do whatever he said to do. So Yaakov's narrative in his prayer in verse 8 to 13 is dependent on God's plan to spare him. Let me reread that for you just for a minute. Genesis 32, verses 8 to 13. Yaakov became greatly afraid and distressed. Crazy. He divided the people, flocks, cattle, and camels with him into two camps, saying if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. That's called planning for a catastrophe. Then Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Yitzhak, Adonai who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen and I will do you good. I am not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant since I crossed the yard with only my staff. But now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau 
I'm afraid of him, afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers or children. You said, he's quoting God, you said I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. He only has 12, well, he will get 12 kids. He has no, 11 now. I think I figured it out. Benjamin hadn't been born yet. But Yaakov knew his destiny, but he had to remind himself that God also knew his destiny. He had a promise in his mind that he had heard from his grandfather, from his father. His family story was a destiny, a destiny, a destiny. But then he spent 20 years in crazy. So he has a destiny in crazy? Well, read the rest of the Testament, Old Testament. You'll recognize crazy. It's there. It's really there. So that prayer sparked something in Yaakov. That prayer was answered. Adonai gave him insight that he already knew. Verse 14, he chose from among his possessions the following as a present. Oh, yes. He remembered Esau's love language was gifts. He knew his brother. He had a twin brother. Twins, do they know each other? Any twins in here? Any twins in here? Anyone ever known a twin? Anyone ever known a twin? They can sometimes not only look alike, they can actually think and talk alike. And there were times when I was talking with twins on the phone, I'd say, is this, is this James or Jim or, or, or Sam? Is this James? I, I couldn't tell. But they know each other. They really do understand each other. And that was a revelation that Yaakov had. It wasn't just a bribe. It was his love language. It really was something that God provided to him. Now, to put into context this love language and what was going to come, I don't know about you, but the first time I came to Kansas to woo my wife, future wife, I jumped along for the ride to Ark City to see the Arkalala Parade. Now, who's seen or heard of the Arkalala Parade? One, two people. Okay, this is a three-hour event. It's not your little town parade where they come and go, and then in 15 minutes it's over. This is about three hours, and it's not just a few people that show up. It's the whole crowd, and I never knew that a small-town parade could last three hours. But what we're going to see and hear about is the parade Yaakov put on for his family was more elaborate, more prolonged, more of a demonstration of his love for his brother. So, I'm going to read a list of the livestock that he gave. I want you to imagine if you think they could fit in this room. He's st- okay, verse 14. He stayed there that night, then chose 
from among his possessions the following as a present for Esau of his brother. 200 female goats and 20 males, 200 female sheep and 20 males, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 colts. You know, I added that all up. I think I got 580. 580 head of livestock. Now, definitely could not use this room as a barn. It would take the whole lot. I'm sorry, the garden would probably be eaten by the time they all filled in and then left. But that's the size of the parade of livestock. Not just the animals, but then it was the shepherds and the servants that took them. So this was not just a 15-minute, here it is, done, here's my gift, please spare my life. This was a very big demonstration of love, very big demonstration of a love language. So, but wait, there's more. (laughs) This was just half of his livestock. He created two camps. He separated them out. And you don't just have camp A and camp B next to each other. You'd have first camp and then far enough away that you wouldn't have to worry about another group being lost. They would be over there. So it would probably been very easy for Yaakov to just say, okay, all y'all, here you go. We're going to go front and first. But he gave them very specific instructions. This wasn't just a cavalcade of shoving animals down the road. It came in a specific message. It's a very specific, purposeful message. There was a message that was going to be made by each servant with a gap between each. In uh, verses 17 to 21, he instructed the servant in front When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, whose servant are you? Where are you going? And whose animals are all these? Now, that'd be interesting to go down the road, and all of a sudden you find 250 sheep. That's that's a little bit of a surprise. Well, just wait. There's more. Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Yaakov, and they are present he has sent to my lord Esau, and Yaakov himself is just behind us. He also instructed the second servant and the third and all that followed the droves. When you encounter Esau, you are to speak to him in the same way, and you are to add, and there, just behind us, is your servant Yaakov. Hmm. Well, that wasn't just okay, here's the high school band, and then here's the Kiwanis, and then here's another high school band, and then then here are the livestock. It was a message that he really was giving this gift to him, and that was his love language. Does anyone else in here know what a love language is? Does anyone else have a gift love language or a part of one? Well, minus touch. So if you want to really say good job, you just kind of, or shake my hand. Some people love gifts. Some people like quality time. That's your love language. Does that resonate with anybody? If you got a gift from someone, 
and you really weren't interested in gifts, you'd become more suspicious, wouldn't you? Hmm, what is going on? However, if that was your love language, would that get your attention? I give you boys a radio-controlled car. Will you let me do something with you? Of course, right? Oh, I see grins. I see grins. Maybe. <laughs> so this message carried a very loud impact to Esau. I love you. I want to meet you. I care about you. Even though we think it just comes across as a bribe, it really was the love language. And that message that each servant gave him reinforced that. The words, I love you, aren't there. But the gift of giving that to him was there. So that's what I want you to see as being the whole purpose of this. Well, let's see. Oh, and this wealth wasn't something that just he'd had for decades. All these animals, does anyone remember where these animals came from? Laban. And no, it's actually Yaakov who raised the animals from the striped, the striped animals, and he ended up creating more striped animals and more striped animals, and that was his wage. And so by the time he was done, he gets over a thousand head of livestock. That's a lot. And he just did that within the last six years. Moses had more, yeah, all right. But this was the best part. This wasn't something that he'd worked hard for his whole life savings. This was something that God had blessed him with and, and given him pros prosperity. So if God had given them that prosperity, was he really attached to all of that? No, he was just blessed. So he was able to release that gift much freely, much easier to share and give generously. So even though that was a lot, this is a lot of livestock. It's not all of it. This is just half of it. So this is a generous, uh, uh, an experience of generosity that Esau wasn't expecting. But I do think it triggered one thing. Well, let's see, did it work? You gotta jump ahead to Genesis 33. Still in the same Parsha, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read this slowly and let it sink in. Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4. Yaakov raised his eyes and looked out, and there was Esau coming, and 400 men with him. So Yaakov divided the children between Leah, Rachel, and the two slave girls, putting the slave girls and their children first, Leah and her children second, Rachel and Yosef last. Then he himself passed on ahead of them and prostrated himself on the ground seven times before approaching his brother. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. 
and they wept. They wept. So did it work? God answered the prayer. Yaakov remembered his brother's love language. The message was met with reconciliation. A little bit more is coming. Not only did those two men, those twin brothers, witness that reconciliation, it was everyone else in that community. Maybe the militia, the 400 men, were expecting to come and do some cleanup work. Maybe they were expecting to do some damage. God only knows. But they witnessed a change. They witnessed a change in Esau. They witnessed a change in their mission. All of his wives, all of his children, all of the slaves and servant people witnessed a change. This was not just something that happened and then we move on. Because if this had not happened, if that reconciliation had not happened, the rest of the Old Testament would be written much differently. Would not have been written the way that we read it now. Because that reconciliation brought about a safe move of Yaakov into the land. Of course, I hate to say it, spoiler alert, there's more crazy to come. They just can't believe what's happening next. But anyways, this reconciliation was not just seen by the adults. It wasn't just seen by the adults. Have any of you seen, just to put this into a context, can you... Has anyone seen that picture of the Golden Spike where the East Railroad met the West Railroad? They built the, the railroad across the country. And at last, it didn't take a horse and a buggy to connect traffic. It was just one big momentous event, and it was in the middle of nowhere. It was in the middle of nowhere. But... The pictures that I've seen in history show, you know, the eastbound and the westbound train, and they're both together, and they're parked nose to nose, and there's not just 10 people, not just 20 people, but hundreds of people, just gobs, just, and it's a, it's a photograph, and then there are people who do drawings and paintings, and it's just fascinating. But it's a historical moment. It's a very important thing because, guess what, kids? You couldn't have gotten to the East Coast or West Coast, gotten anything from the East Coast or West Coast, food, lumber, whatever, until those trains connected. Now, of course, you fly there in two hours. How is that possible? So, anyways... The item that I want you to put into context of a picture of seeing something similar to the Golden Spike ceremony is Yaakov 
Esau, 400 friends, all of the servants and slave girls, and beneath that, all of these animals and camels in the background. There might have been elephants and giraffes, who knows? It was just a big connection of people and a big connection of animals and a big reconciliation between these two brothers. Now, imagine there's this picture, but then along the bottom of the picture, there is 11 scraggly kids. These crazy, scrawny little boogers. And they were all lined up at the bottom of that picture, and they just look like a mess. Does anyone have nephews, nieces, brothers, sisters that look like a mess at one age? They're all young kids. Someone had a slingshot and someone was pulling, slopping the back of the other kid's head. But all these boys at the bottom were from Yaakov's family. These were the boys that would become the tribes of Israel. And yet there's one, 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 one little kid way down there on the bottom. His bigger brother's holding him up. That little boy down at the bottom. You know what his name was? Joseph. Joseph. Now, like most family pictures that were taking 20, 30, 40 years ago, who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Oh, that guy became the governor. Oh, that guy became the mayor. Oh, that guy became a president. Who'd have thunk? How'd that happen? But Yosef, not only did he get to live and see and feel and smell and touch and taste and be part of this very historical moment, he had to ponder that experience as an adult. Does anyone remember his experience as an adult? What did Yosef go through? Alienation? Betrayal? What? Torture? Betrayal? He had to go through a terrible, terrible experience from his own brothers. He was isolated. He was alone. He was hurting. And even though he had a great job as second in command of Egypt, he still missed his family, I'm certain. And then, was it just a matter of his brother show up? Oh, I'm so glad to get you. Oh, let me hug you. It didn't turn out that way, did it? It took several chapters of Scripture to describe all of the connections that had to be remade there. And then even after that occurred, his brothers were suspicious that he remembered and still had angst in his heart from them. But that's what I want us to see. It wasn't just Yaakov and Esau that witnessed and felt and reconnected. It was the whole family that needed to see what happened. Now, I know there are people in my family that need to see and understand what reconciliation is. I'm afraid to confess I've had crazy in my family. I've had crazy with my daughters and their families. 
some of them dance with crazy, probably more than Laban, but that's normal. And they need to have some reconciliation between them, each other, and there are just so many pieces of a puzzle that are so confusing when we're living them out. But this is God's mandate. This is God's purpose. Not that we just enjoy worshiping and loving God. Not that we just enjoy singing and dancing. Not just we enjoy the words of Scripture. Not just that we have a future eternal life of, of destiny with God's children. Not just that. We are charged in Scripture to bring healing. We are charged in Scripture to be vessels, just like Yaakov and Esau. They had to reconcile. And if I could share just one more, one more verse. And this actually comes out of Matthew chapter 6. verses 7 through 14, and I'll bet you'll remember this when I start reading it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 14. And when you pray, don't babble on and on like the pagans who think God will hear them better if they talk a lot. Don't be like them because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You, therefore, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us the food we need today. Forgive us what we have done wrong, as we too have been forgiven those who wronged us. And do not lead us into hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one, for kingship, power, and glory are yours forever. And Yeshua carries on. He says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I don't know. That sounds close to the 11th commandment. It's not just love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It's not just fulfill the Shema. But it is to love the beings, especially the beings, the human beings that are our siblings, maybe parents, maybe cousins, maybe uncles, maybe aunts. Someone somewhere has family they need to reconcile with. Don't do it without prayer. Maybe you don't have a twin brother who's eager to kill you. I don't know. Does anyone have an eager brother who wants to kill you? I don't think so. But you do have healing needed. We're all broken. We're all needing not just a Savior, but we're needing peace with family. And that peace it won't happen in a week. It won't happen 
maybe in a month. It might take longer. Maybe you need to find their love language. Maybe you need to ask God, how can I reach them? Maybe that would be good. So take this down. Write this down. This is important. No matter what happens, God still rules over the crazy people and crazy things that spring upon us. Always remember, God still rules. God is God, nothing less. Man is man and nothing more. And if I could just leave with you one of my favorite life verses. It's from Micah, chapter 6. And this puts everything into perspective. This could actually be the subtitle of the Bible, the Holy Word. Micah, chapter 6, verse 6. With what can I come before Adonai to bow down before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves in their first year? Would Adonai take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousands rivers of olive oil? Could I give my firstborn to pay for my crimes, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Write this down. Write this down. Human being, you have already been told what is good, what Adonai demands of you. No more than to act justly, to love grace, and walk in purity with your God. Remember to live out Torah. Remember to practice Torah. Remember the words of the Messiah. And be crazy. Enjoy the crazy. God bless. God blesses us forever and ever, doesn't he?